to 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. And as you're doing that, I think I was supposed to say this last week. I, I shared an illustration, I think two weeks ago, and I used, I think I was saying Robert De Niro. And then I have this, uh, I have a friend who was very kind to like help me. It was actually Robert Duvall. And so we spent community group, this is what we do in our community group, is my community group leader was helping me redirect or correct my illustration that I was using. So I was talking about Robert De Niro as being in this movie as an opening illustration, and it wasn't him. And so a number of people were racking their brains, what movie was that? It doesn't sound like that. It was actually Robert Duvall. So if, you, if you're wondering, I was corrected in my community group. They helped me understand, and I want to make sure we're correct. So... The other one is, I did mention Katie White as one of those moms. She's very athletic, has won pretty much everything we could offer in a church picnic for years. But the only reason I'm saying it is she's also very kind, okay, just in case. So we're, not, so we're clear on that. She's very kind and very competitive. So anyways, look forward to the church picnic next week. What we're going to do now is we're going to look at 1 John chapter 3 verses 19 through 24. So let me read that, and then I'm going to pray. Verse 19, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him, and by this We know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would take this word and sow it into our hearts. Lord, you would help us to know you more clearly. That, Lord, you would give us a greater assurance that you know us and we know you. And that, Lord, we're abiding in Christ, seeking to live out our lives for you and your glory. And so, Lord, give us this assurance. Lord, give us a confidence as you call us to walk by faith and not by sight. And so, Lord, help us do this. Enable us to do this by the power of your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's important for us to understand that John has written this letter to his readers, and this letter has been written so that all who read it would know that they have eternal life. And so he's writing this letter, or he wrote this letter, so that we would have a confident assurance that we actually possess eternal life. False teachers had crept into these churches and were creating chaos and confusion amongst the people of God, creating doubts within them as to whether or not they were actually saved. And so 
John has written this letter to help give his readers this assurance that they are saved by drawing attention to how God has saved them and by giving them specific truths to help them fight all of their doubts that they might have about their faith. And so this particular section that we're looking at right now is, is John sort of redirecting their focus, trying to help them battle any and all doubts that they might have about their salvation. Because he, he wants believers, genuine believers, to, to have a confident assurance that God has actually saved them. And so he's written this entire letter about that, but now he's sort of trying to help them put these doubts to death if there are any. And if we're honest, I think we all know what it feels like to doubt. To doubt our salvation in some way, whether big or small. Some, some people have a temptation to doubt it in a bigger way. But I think all of us in some way at some point as we're seeking to walk out our faith have experienced doubt where we've just sort of wondered, has the Lord really saved me? Am I really a Christian? We know what it's like to question like that, especially in those moments when our hearts and minds feel far away from God and his ways. In those seasons of life when, when it seems like sin is ruling over us. We know Christ died to defeat sin so that we would be forgiven of sin. And we know that sin still remains. But, but sometimes there's these seasons where it just feels like sin is ruling over us. And the last thing we want to do is draw near to God because we begin to feel unworthy. And then we begin to doubt. Am I really saved? There's also those seasons in life where we get so busy doing life that we neglect our relationship with God and therefore begin to feel like we might not actually know him. We might not actually feel like one of his children because we don't have this passion and this desire that maybe we had earlier or you see somebody else having. And so it can begin to create some of these doubts. Am I really a child of God? And then there's those times when it just feels like life hits us hard. And there seems like there's just no blessing. You look around, you see other people in the church, and it just seems like, man, their, their life just seems to be perfect. It seems like God is just, just giving them whatever they need, and they're just always happy. Because life always seems to be going well. But for you, life doesn't seem to be going well. And it's in those moments where you can look out and you kind of begin to compare yourself with other people, and you'd be like, I'm not like that. My life doesn't look like that. Therefore, sometimes doubts can come in. And it's like, well, maybe I'm not that. Maybe the Lord hasn't actually saved me. And so doubts are funny. They, they work in many ways. And we have an enemy that likes to use different things to kind of place doubts into our mind. And, and we have our own sin nature that likes to take those things and, and run with them. And then we can just sort of live with these doubts instead of this confident assurance that God has indeed saved us and that God is at work in us and that Christ really is our Savior. And so doubts just have a way of sort of keeping us at a distance from the Lord as well. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't really tend to push us in the direction of the Lord. Instead, when we doubt, they tend to kind of keep us neutral and maybe we begin to drift away from the Lord. But instead, 
what John is trying to do here and what we're going to see is he's trying to help us to, to, to put those doubts to death so that we might move towards the Lord consistently and faithfully. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary, wrote the following about doubt. He said, how does a Christian deal with doubt? Although there are many causes for it, he says there's only one answer, by knowledge. The Christian must simply take himself in hand and confront himself with what he knows to be true concerning God and God's work in his life. In other words, faith, which is the opposite of doubt, being based on knowledge, must be fed by it. And by it, he means that knowledge. So what we're going to learn from our text this morning is this. Because God abides in us through his spirit, we can have a confident assurance that we are his children. Let me say that again. Because God abides in us by his spirit... We can have a confident assurance that we are indeed his children. We're going to learn this truth by taking a look at three points this morning. In our first point, we learn that the love for others and a knowledge of God reassures our hearts that we're God's children. Love for others and a knowledge of God reassures our hearts that we are God's children. And so, John uses verse 18, I didn't read that, but he uses that, it was from last week, as a connecting verse to sort of transition from the previous section of scripture to what we're going to look at here this morning. And verse 18 says this, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. When we love in deed and in truth and not merely in word, John was saying, we can be confident that we are children of God. When, when our love for others actually looks like something, like a service, a sacrificial service, and it's costly, instead of just lip service, he was teaching us that, that that's an evidence that you're a child of God. Because you're not just talking the talk, you're actually living it out, and we, we attribute that living it out to the grace of God that's at work in believers' lives. We can have assurance that this love is genuine and even more so that God abides in us and we in him when when love looks this way. Now in verse 19, John builds off of this truth and he writes the following. He says, by this, referring back, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Again, the, this that John is talking about here is the loving in deed and in truth from verse 18. When we love in deed and truth like Jesus has loved us by dying on the cross for us, our hearts should be confident that we are his that he has saved us, that he's at work in us, that God's grace is active in our lives. If we're being honest, though, with ourselves, we sometimes don't always love like that, right? Sometimes we're not actually perfectly loving people with word and in truth and with deeds. 
That's how Christ loved us. He, he laid his life down for us, and, and he calls for us to love others in a similar way, but we're, we don't always do that. Sometimes we're actually selfish, right? At least I am sometimes. Sometimes we don't actually live sacrificially, but instead we look to serve ourselves instead of others. And with this can come doubts. Because we're not loving perfectly. Come, come doubts and we can begin to wonder, is Christ really at work in me? Well, John knows that these doubts are real. And he also knows that we aren't Jesus. And we're not really going to love people perfectly this side of heaven. Now, it doesn't mean we don't seek to love people. But we're not Christ and we're not in heaven yet. And so sometimes we're going to fail. Sometimes we're going to fail a lot. Sometimes we're not going to love perfectly. And sometimes there's going to be some doubts that run into our minds and our hearts as we look at our lives and we look at Christ. And sometimes it's not going to add up. And so what John does is he tells us that our ultimate confidence and our assurance of our salvation isn't primarily seen in how we live out our lives. Now, living out our lives by faith in Christ, it's important. He spent some time on that to help us see evidences of grace actually look like something. It looks like us actually loving people, but that's not where we put our ultimate hope when we're looking at our assurance of our salvation. Instead of looking primarily at our lives, we're called to look at God who saves us. We're called to put our confidence And to place our hope for our salvation, not primarily in who we are and what we've done, but in who God is and what he has done for us. And what we see here is that he's greater than our hearts. So John says he's greater than our hearts. And he knows all things. These acts of love that we live out towards others, they're they're good things. They're evidences of God's grace, and they're meant to encourage us. When they show up, when you actually see someone loving somebody else sacrificially, we're called to encourage that. We're called to point that out. We're called to help people see it because that's an evidence of God's grace. It's, it's a testimony that God's at work in that person's life, that that person is growing. And so these things are good Every time you lay your life down and give for the sake of others is an evidence that God is at work in your life. And we celebrate those things. They're meant to build up our faith. And they do, don't they? Especially when somebody else points it out sometimes. Because a lot of times we can't see God at work in our lives. And so it's good to have others come alongside and say, God's at work there. I see you growing here. It's encouraging. It it builds us up. But that's not our ultimate hope or we place our primary confidence for our assurance when it comes to are we children of God or not. We place that in God himself. When doubts come flooding into our hearts, we need to remember 
that God is greater than our hearts. Our hearts may be, may be throwing on here, but he's using heart in the sense of our conscience. And, and that's where those doubts sort of arise. And so what he's trying to say here is, is when our hearts may be thinking one way, we need to understand that God is actually greater than that. Just because you feel something, just because you might be thinking something, you need to understand that that feeling and that thought you might be having is not greater than the God of all creation. Than the God who sent his son Jesus into this world to die for you. He's, he's greater than our hearts. Far greater than our hearts. And, and not only is he greater than our hearts, he, he knows everything. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows everything all the time. It's really important that we, we understand who God is here. This is what John, John wants us to understand. God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. He's omniscient. You, you think you know some things and John's just saying, okay, you may know some things, but God knows all things. You may think you know yourself, but, but God actually knows you and he knows everyone because he's the creator of all things. And so he knows everything. He knows everything all the time. He knows what we do and when we do it. Every act of love you think you're doing, he, he knows that act and he actually knows the heart behind it because he knows everything. When he says he knows everything, it means he just knows everything. And he's far greater than our hearts. He knows when we're serving selflessly. And he knows when we're serving selfishly. He knows when we're actually doing something out of love and when we're actually doing something out of pride or selfishness. And at the end of the day, his judgment over us is this. Okay, so you, we kind of know ourselves and we kind of do certain things and, and we got to look at those things because they're evidences of grace. But at the end of the day, his judgment over us is what really matters. And his judgment is this. He so loved us. This is John three sixteen, paraphrased a bit. He so loved us. He gave his only son, Jesus Christ, up for us so that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but instead have eternal life. And that's where we find our hope, and that's where we find our confident assurance that we actually are one of his children. It's in him. The one that has so loved us gave up his son for us that we might be forgiven, declared righteous, and brought into a right relationship with him. Our confidence is in Christ. Sometimes our hearts will be overly active. Sometimes our consciences can, can just begin to just run wild and, and they can begin to condemn us when we fail over and over again. Has anybody ever experienced that? What it kind of feels like is it just sort of makes you feel like a loser. At least that's how it does in my heart. It's like, I can't do this. I can't do this the right way. I never do this. And, and that may or may not be true, but that's how it begins to work in my heart. I'm assuming in your heart as well. It's like, I'll never add up to this. Therefore, I'm probably not this. 
or I haven't received the grace I need for this, and it just condemns, and it just begins to be this, this ball that begins to roll over and over again, and it spirals us down further and further. And that's, that's what our hearts can do sometimes, when it's overly sort of active, and it can begin to tell us something that might not really be true. Or it might be true, but it doesn't lead us to what is even more true. I'll tell you what I mean by that in just a moment. See, in those moments when we start to spiral with doubt, we need to remember this truth that John is teaching us here. And we need to remember ones like we find in Romans 8 verse 1. Here's what it says. Romans 8 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many of you ever felt condemned before after you've been saved? You don't have to raise your hand. I'll put my hand up. I'm going to assume all of us have. But the truth here is that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But our hearts condemn us. What do we do when we begin to feel like we're being condemned, that the Lord is condemning us. What do we do in those moments? I think we need to fight in those moments. That's why John's trying to remind us here that our ultimate hope and our confidence of our assurance, it, it comes in who God is and what he has accomplished for us. Our hearts may be condemning us for our sins, but God isn't. You see the difference? This is kind of what James Montgomery Boyce was trying to say that the answer to our doubts is knowledge. It's truth. We may feel and think a certain way, and sometimes those feelings and thoughts are wrong. And I'd say a lot of times they are, but, but the truth of what God has said to us, it's never wrong. And sometimes we need to take these truths, like we find here in John, and what we find here in Romans 8, 1, and we need to speak these truths to our hearts, to inform our hearts or our conscience, which may be thinking a certain way, which may be thinking wrongly about what is true and what is right. And sometimes we just need to sit there and just meditate on these things. And I just want to tell you, sometimes this really is a fight. Sometimes it's a fight. Sometimes our condemning thoughts, they just don't go away easily but need to be spoken to repeatedly over and over and over again. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in one of his sermons, once said, and it's in one of his books, where he's just talking about spiritual depression, he just said, don't, don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself. And what he's getting back there is like, if you just listen to yourself, you might find yourself moving in all sorts of different directions based upon whatever you think and whatever you feel. And what he's saying, talk to yourself, is, is when you start to go down this road, which may or may not be true, talk to yourself with the truth of God's word. And I'm saying the fight for confidence means we got to talk to ourselves. We have to speak truth to ourselves. We have to remind ourselves when we feel condemned that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And sometimes that's got to be said over and over again. Sometimes it's got to be memorized and, and put in our hearts so that we might live that out. And sometimes you have to share that with a brother or sister. Because doubts are a reality. 
Condemnation comes in, our hearts will lead us astray at times, but God has not left us, left us to ourselves to sort of go by our hearts. He's given us the truth of his word to inform our hearts, to fight the good fight of faith. And it's a fight. If you feel like you have to fight for this, just know you're, that's what the rest of us are doing. Every single day, just reminding ourselves, this is how I feel, but this is what the Lord says is true. And a lot of times, the fight for me would look like, Lord, align my heart with what's true. Align my desires with what you teach us in your word. And it's a fight over and over and over again. It's a fight to remember that Christ didn't just die for our sins. He was raised in victory over our sins. A lot of times this doubt comes flooding in because we we forget that he's been raised in victory over these sins. So instead what we end up doing is we say Christ died for my sins and we stop there and we just have this laundry list of all of our failures over and over again and and we're not living in the good of the gospel being reminded that, that he actually died for these and was raised in victory over these. Does that make sense? And so sometimes we can live on the wrong side of the cross where we just stay and we just see, yeah, he died for this. And all we can think of is this. But we fight discouragement and we fight doubt by being reminded he was raised in victory over these things. We have victory through faith in Christ over our sins. Though these sins are real and present in our lives, his death and resurrection says forgiven and declared righteous. And that's where our hope is. This leads us to our second point where we learn that assurance that we are God's children gives us confidence before God. So this assurance that we are God's children, it should give us confidence before God. Verse 21 says this, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Daniel Atkin, in his commentary, wrote the following. He says, the sense of what John says is this. When we trust the judgment of our conscience to our great God, who is omniscient about everything, our confidence shifts from being based on our experience and our feeling to being based on God's word and what he says about us. Again, he's just saying... Our confidence should be in God and in his word, and with that brings greater confidence. This thing never changes. His word is the same. It's truth. Our hearts change. Therefore, our confidence should be in God and in his word. John 16, verse 23, John records what Jesus said about drawing near to the Lord. He said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive it that your joy may be full. And so John is teaching us here, when we have this assurance that we are God's children, it gives us confidence to draw near to God. 
and that he's going to hear our prayers and that he's going to be eager to answer our prayers. And then John records in his gospel that Jesus is basically saying something similar, that God hears our prayers and he seeks to answer our prayers. He's not saying that he's a genie in a bottle. And I, I would discourage us from thinking about Jesus and God like that, that when we pray, he's just immediately going to answer our prayers no matter what we're asking. But what John's trying to teach us here is that we should have this confident expectation when we do pray and we do draw near to the Lord that our God, our Father, is going to listen to us. He's going to hear us. and There should be this expectation that he's going to be eager to answer our prayers according to his good purposes and, I would say, his timing. Okay, so did you hear that? He's going to hear us. Because he's our good heavenly father who has given us this assurance that we are his children. And when we have that assurance, he says, draw near to me. I'm going to hear your prayer and I'm going to answer your prayers. And I'm going to add to that according to his good purposes and his timing. If we are seeking his will and his way, doing what pleases him, then these things, I would say, then they begin to shape our prayers. If we're asking God to give us grace and wisdom to love others in our lives, then I think we should expect God to give us grace and wisdom to love others, right? I mean, he's called us to love others. John has spent a significant amount of time calling us to love others. And so I think when we begin to pray prayers like, Lord, help me love this person. There should be this confident expectation that God's going to hear that prayer and that he's going to actually help you love that person sacrificially. If we're asking God to give us strength to not grow weary in doing good, which he commands us to do, then I think we should expect God to hear that prayer and then give us the strength to persevere in the things that he's called us to do. If you're a husband and you cry out to God and you say, Lord, please help me love my wife as Christ loved the church, sacrificially, there should be this expectation that God is going to help you. He's going to hear that prayer and he's going to enable you in some way to love your wife as Christ loved the church. If we're asking God to help us count it all joy when we meet a trial, which he commands us to do in Scripture, There should be this confidence that he's going to hear that prayer. And he's going to help us count it a joy. Probably going to be a fight. But he hears us. If we're asking God to enable us to obey our parents in the Lord, because we know it's right. There should be this confident expectation that God's going to hear that. And he's going to answer that prayer according to his good timing and his good purposes. If we're asking God to give us wisdom to make wise decisions that honor him regarding our lives and the direction that we go, I I think we should expect him to give us that wisdom that we need to make those decisions. If you feel called to be married, I would encourage you to ask God for a husband or a wife as part of his purpose and plan. We don't always know his timing, but, but pray and expect that Lord, the Lord hears these things. I was just thinking, so my daughter got engaged recently, and I was telling the guys this. This is this weird feeling, but so when she was born, 
and probably like most parents, you just immediately begin to pray for her. And as dad, you begin to pray for her future husband, probably from day one. It's weird, but that's just what the Lord did. And that prayer was prayed over 21 some years. And I just remember when this guy sat in front of me and he's about to ask me, I'm just thinking, here it is. And then he asked if he could marry my daughter. My, my first thought was like, you're it. 21 years I've been praying for somebody. And apparently you're him. Like that's how my mind works. I just think it that way. And it, it was really like apparently you're it. There's rejoicing and things like that. But 21 years is a long time to be praying for somebody to show up. And I just use that to say the, the Lord hears And the Lord answers. And as his children, we should have this confident expectation that he hears us and he will answer. It may not be according to your timing or your good purposes, but it will always be according to his perfect timing and his goodness for you. And therefore, we trust him for that. The Lord hears us and he will answer us. This leads us to point three. We know we are God's children by the spirit whom he has given to us. John says this, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Kent Hughes writes the following. He says, the Holy Spirit is God's gift to his children, a divine bestowal. In this gift of the Holy Spirit, God gives himself to us. This is that precious truth of our union with Christ. The Holy Spirit is a gift. Sometimes we underestimate the importance of the Spirit and the Spirit's role and the Spirit's power in our lives. We like to talk much of God the Father and God the Son, but there is God the Spirit. And at our conversion, God the Father pours out his Spirit upon us and it begins to dwell in us and it changes us radically the spirit changes our hearts the spirit gives us eyes to see christ the spirit empowers us to be able to live out our lives for the glory of god the spirit begins to develop character in us that grows over time the spirit convicts us of sin and guides us in truth Spirit produces Christ-likeness in us. We are Christians because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, guides us, and leads us to live out our lives for the glory of God. And so we know that we are God's children because of the Spirit that dwells in us. It's a gift. Sometimes I, I refer to it and I just think it just feels so mysterious sometimes. Because it's there, because God's at work in us and his spirit is dwelling in us and the fruit of the spirit is beginning to grow, sometimes really small, but, but it just grows. A true child of God possesses the spirit of God in them and it looks like things. It grows, it bears fruit, it empowers us. And John wants us to know, you know you're a child of God because the spirit abides in you. This is good news. So if there's any love in your heart for Jesus, any desire to obey the Lord and a love for others in your life in some capacity, John wants us to know 
that this is the Spirit's work. Sometimes we expect it to be here. But the reality is we're, we're sort of in this process of getting here, heaven. And so we sometimes want it now here, but, but the Spirit's at work and it's growing us. And if there's any inkling there, if there's any evidences of grace, John's just want, John wants us to all have this assurance. Be confident. Know that God is at work in your life. Fight the good fight of faith. Remember the God who created you, the God who saved you, and the God who dwells in you. He's at work. He will finish what he started. So live with confidence. Confidence in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I ask that you would pour out your spirit in fullness upon us all, that you would fill us, that we might live today for you and for your glory. Lord, that we wouldn't grow weary in doing good, that we would continue to pray. We would continue to draw near to you as your children, Lord, confident that you hear us and you respond. And so, Lord, give us endurance to continue to pray according to your will. And Lord, may you answer these prayers. May you surprise and delight your people with many blessings. And Lord, may you protect us and guide us today as we live out our lives for you and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.